The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome back to the Costa Report. Uh, I'm Rebecca Costa, and during the first hour today, we had a rare sit-down with the CEO and president of the National Venture Capital Association, Bobby Franklin. And if some folks are wondering why we need to be concerned uh, with how venture capital investors are doing in the United States and and why we need to hear from leaders like Franklin. Well, that's an easy one to answer. It is virtually impossible to grow the U.S. economy without risky investments and innovation. The number of jobs which venture-backed startups, um, startups that eventually go public on the stock exchange uh, create, is enormous. It has an enormous impact. We covered this uh, a little earlier in the first hour, but let's take Microsoft as an example. That was a venture-backed company that ended in a successful IPO, a good return uh, to the uh, venture capital investors that invested early. Microsoft had 1,200 1,200 employees before they went public. After their IPO, they were able to employ 94,000. In other words, they added 93,000 new jobs. Uh, Intel had 460 employees when they were private. And they jumped to contributing over 100,000 jobs to the economy. Intel, uh, you know, I mean, just think about this. Intel, just one venture capital-backed company, added over 99,000 jobs to the U.S. economy. Similarly, Apple had 1,000 employees. And after going public, they grew to 76,000. They, they, they added 75,000 new jobs after their public offering. And the list goes on and on and on with venture companies like, uh, venture-backed companies like Home Depot contributing 330,000 new jobs to the U.S. economy. Starbucks added 157,000. Even Whole Foods Market. That, that's not a venture-backed company that would immediately come to mind, the the health food grocery chain, they're responsible for 67,000 new jobs after going public. Online shopping company eBay went from 138 employees to 31,000 after their initial public offering. So, so the numbers are right there. They're, they're all right there on the National Venture Capital Association website. You can go there and see the charts You know me, math is one of the few things in life that does not lie. Look at the math. Do your homework. Take a look at that. You will see that that on the road to an IPO, venture capitalists with lots of experience who know how to deliver product and services and innovation to the marketplace, they bet on a lot of companies And as they see that some are going to be enormously successful and change the way that we operate and do business, uh, they bring them to the public market. And then guess what? You and I vote. We vote with our dollars that we have faith in that revolution, in that innovation, in that change. And the way we vote with our dollars is we buy stock. And that stock turns into expansion capital for those companies. And guess what? When you have expansion capital, you start hiring that's that upward spiral. That's that upward spiral we keep talking about. And it's not happening. Venture capital investments and exit on the stock exchange have done more to add new jobs to the U.S. economy than any other single government program or asset class. I'm going to say that again. 
venture capital investments in this country and exits on the stock exchange, initial public offerings, have done more to add new jobs to the U.S. economy than any other government program or asset class. And if there was a neat little linear algorithm between every dollar invested by a venture capital fund and how many jobs we created on the back end when that invested company goes public, then we would be able to forecast the number of new jobs that were going to be created down the road with a little more accuracy than we can today. Of course, there's, there's no one-to-one correlation between investment dollars and jobs. But what we do know is that there's a critical relationship there. Dollars in and innovation, competitive products and services, and jobs out. That is how the venture capital machine works. It's how it worked in the 70s and 80s in Silicon Valley. And as I mentioned earlier, I was very fortunate as a young woman to witness the amazing birth and growth of the electronics, computing, and internet industries. It was out of venture capital that came the Cisco's, the Oracle's, the Apple computers, the Microsoft's. Uh, Name name a top, uh, the Intel's of the world. Uh, They didn't have, they couldn't raise enough capital on their own. They had to have the guidance of experienced venture capitalists that knew how to put a management team together and knew how to get those products to market and knew how to raise money in the public market so that they would have the expansion uh, capital that they needed. So I'm going to, I'm just going to say this, uh, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say for all listeners who tune in every week to the Costa Report to garner whatever facts the mainstream media is just glossing over, uh, whether it's on the ground military uh, uh, scenarios in Iraq, Libya, or Fukushima, I'm going to go out on a limb and say go to the National Venture Capital Association website and download their 2014 yearbook and just spend 10 minutes looking at the data and you draw your own conclusions because that's what this program is all about. We offer you the information from the world's top experts and then we ask you to draw your own conclusion. And that's the way the media used to be and I know that that's what you're looking for now. You don't want me to tell you what to think. You can think for yourself. Now we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these important messages from our sponsors. Stay right where you are, and we'll talk to Sam and Bill and find out what they have to say about innovation in America. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. What we call grains are really, in essence, the seeds of grass. They're grass seeds. As animals evolved to eat grass, grass evolved to defend themselves. One of the techniques that grass have developed to survive is to have lots of seeds, and this is what makes grasses farmer and agriculture friendly. Seeds contain lots of nutrients that humans can use. And if there's lots of seeds, they're easy to grow. Today, grass seeds and grains, what we call grains, which are really grass seeds, provide the bulk of nutritional calories for the human being species in the world. In addition to having lots of seeds as a defense mechanism, grasses have developed a second defense mechanism to assure their survival in a world where they're constantly being munched upon and grazed upon by animals. This second mechanism for their survival is chemical warfare. Grasses produce chemicals that are designed to make any animals that would dare to eat them think twice about eating them again. Grass seeds produce opium-like compounds, for example, that numb predators, stun them, and, and make the animals more slow and more sluggish, including humans. This is one of the reasons why grains are considered comfort foods, because they have a kind of relaxing, soporific effect. They put us to sleep. They relax us. They make us feel more comfortable. Grass seeds produce blood clotting chemicals called agglutinins that can kill animals. Hi, this is Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. If you'd like to get in touch with pharmacist Ben Fuchs, let me tell you the quickest, easiest way to communicate with the only pharmacist I know that isn't in a hurry to dispense pharmaceuticals. 
Sounds funny, doesn't it? A pharmacist who believes pharmaceuticals should be used as the last resort, not the first. You can reach Pharmacist Ben right now at RadioBenHealth.com. That's RadioBenHealth.com. And if you'd like to know more about unique nutritional supplements like Beyond Tangy Tangerine or the Healthy Start Pack program, it's the same web address, RadioBenHealth.com. Find out why Pharmacist Ben and millions like him are enjoying a healthy, energetic lifestyle by adding mineral supplements to their daily routine. Visit RadioBenHealth.com, RadioBenHealth.com, and get started today. If you listen to the news today, you might come away with the impression that our biggest challenges are political and economic. But if this were true, then countries which have different political and economic systems would be facing different problems. But they aren't. Every government and every nation is struggling with job creation, debt, immigration, climate change, terrorism, health care, energy, and wild swings in financial markets. So something else must be going on. That's why I'm inviting you to get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle a book which shows how the Roman, Mayan, and Khmer empires once faced similar challenges and what we can do to avoid their fate. Visit RebeccaCosta.com today and get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, because once you do, you'll never look at the world the same way. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. Hi everyone, this is Kay's Whirling. MZ and I are quite proud of the station you're listening to. Quite frequently, I meet people who express their appreciation for KSCO, one of the few remaining independent, locally owned radio voices left in our country. Of course, this is gratifying, but it's very important that you understand and keep in mind that KSCO is made possible by three things. Advertising sales, book, hat, bag, and other KSEO gear sales, and in particular, longevity health product sales. You see, every time somebody in our audience purchases longevity products such as Beyond Tangy Tangerine or the Healthy Start Pack, that person is directly supporting our operation and making it possible for us to continue to serve our community. We feel good about recommending these products because they are of the highest quality and they do work. I know because I take these products every day and I can enthusiastically vouch for their goodness and effectiveness. I first heard Dr. Wallach's message about taking charge of your health through nutrition nearly 20 years ago. I strongly believe in nutritional supplementation over toxic prescription drugs and invite you to help yourself and help KSCO and KOMY by trying and using these products as I do. Visit kscoteam.com or kscohealth.com or call one of your local longevity distributors. For KSCO and KOMY, this is Case Whirling. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa and Sam Quentin and Bill Graff. 
who keep the program running smoothly each and every week here in the studio are with me. And uh, by the way, in case this is your first time joining us, uh, that means that we have an independent, a Republican, and a Democrat weighing in all at one time. And I am not saying who is which. I, I am not going to get. I'm not going to tell the audience who is which, uh, but who wants to start? Us They'll off? figure it out for themselves. <laughs> trust me. You think? I'm, I'm absolutely positively sure. Actually, so am I. <laughs> okay. All right. Who's going to start us off? Uh, you know something, Rebecca. You you said something that I experienced myself. Uh, I uh, spent uh, 1979 through 1989 in Silicon Valley. You did. Wasn't it a great time? I started off on a subassembly manufacturing line at um, what was it, National Semiconductor. Yep. And uh, what you were saying was exactly true. You could walk across the street every six months. And, and get a raise. And, and get a better job and get a lot more money. And that's exactly what happened to me over the course of those years. Everybody rose. Yeah. If you showed up... And the and Reagan years were the best in the world. Uh, honestly, me. and I have to tell you something. I have two children. Uh, my children are in their 30s, early 30s, late 20s right now. I want them to have that experience. And uh, I so want that for them. Everybody should. I went from being a sub-assembly, you know, hands-on, you know, assembly person... Right, uh, on to, a line. To you a were man, working on a, a line, right? To a manufacturing manager in the space of that time. What were you doing? Were you uh, assembling printed circuit boards? Uh, so, no. As a matter of fact, uh, as a manufacturing manager, I was working at a place called Ultratech Stepper. Mm-hmm. And I remember Ultratech. You do? I do. They had uh, that weird building that had like some, uh, like, uh, I don't know, like it looked like steps in it, didn't it? On the outside of it, their headquarters. Uh, they had like a modern looking building. Yeah. Uh, that was after they moved and mm-hmm. I left there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they you didn't get the fancy, new facility. The you were in the building. old facility. Uh, but at the time I joined them, they were a very unique company, a uh, very dynamic company. Uh, the, the CEO was what I thought was a visionary and uh, it wasn't so visionary after he left because things sort of changed there but uh, we were building all the main sub-assemblies that went into the stepper which was the the base unit which was a big piece of stone Mm -hmm. uh, set in a frame Mm -hmm. and uh, the optics system uh, was uh, subassembly unto itself and then then a whole bunch of other mechanical assemblies and all this stuff came together and I was the manager of that department and wasn't it a great time to work in Silicon Valley it was a very exciting yeah. very exciting time yeah I mean people were making good money there was great opportunity uh, you could see that you know and, and, and there was almost a fraternity amongst mm. all of us yeah now are you seeing and venture capitalism made all of it possible. It made it all possible. And do you Absolutely. see that happening now? I don't. I don't either. Yeah. I think that the the venture capital um, world has changed immensely. Companies like Tesla, um, companies like um, the, uh, you know, I wish my brain cells hadn't died. The, the yeah, comp- me too. The company that, <laughs> the company that assembles, uh, that, that got into trouble for assembling... Uh, um, um, uh, solar panels. Uh, what, what's that? Cylindra. Cylindra. Yeah. Cylindra. Cylindra ruined it for everybody. What? Well, no. The, no. 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 The crash that, of Nasdaq ruined it for everyone because suddenly there know, was no there was no IPO market. There was no initial public Cylindra offering. Proves, that happened long before Cylindra. Cylindra proves that the government has no business. That's right. Being entrepreneurs. That's right. Or venture capitalists with our money. Uh, okay, look, we we could look at this two ways Oops, with Solander, because Solander well, took uh, a now, bad yeah, rap. But you know what? I agree with you. So they, do they really know who you are? Because I, I happen to agree with you on this one. I don't think the government should be spending our money as venture capitalists. 
Okay, if the government wants to be a venture capitalist, I have no problem with the government investing in innovation. Give, I give really the money don't. to Philippe Kahn and let him do it. That's what I'm doing. saying. I'm saying if you want to be a venture capitalist, be a venture capitalist. Hire some. Make a department of innovative in, investment. And, and understand that out of 100 investments, you're only going to have 10 or 15, but they're going to make all the difference in the world. You're, you're betting the odds in venture capital. I mean, if the government's going to invest in things, why don't they invest in something like Boeing, something that we know works? Well, because uh, Boeing's going to be eclipsed by uh, Virgin Galactic. Well, that's then why. invest in Virgin Galactic. What I'm saying is invest in stuff that we know is going to work that by people that, who know how the, to run but companies. That, that's no, the whole again, point of venture capital. They shouldn't be doing it. They I agree. shouldn't be doing it. I agree. You, you can't invest in you. something that you know will work. Venture capitalists are good at what they do, and and they still have a lousy batting average. That is exactly right, Sam. You and I are on the same page. They have a terrible so batting if, average, but, so but they when they succeed. hit a home run, they really do. So and and the successes dwarf the do, failures. How can we ever expect the government to be that competent? We it, can't. It, look. If the government wants to be serious about making investments in early stage companies, then they need to form a department. They need to hire venture capitalists. They need to put the machinery in place. Ah, you don't bureaucracy. just. Well, I'm not talking about bureaucracy. Hey, we, we formed a department for land management. We form a department, an FDA. And how's we, that working for you? Uh, well, yeah. it's not working they, so great. They got their but, own army, I understand. I, I'm, uh, look, Bobby Franklin said. They it. just he, grounded a great big military contract jet because it doesn't fly right so what parts you, fall off right but then on the other hand on That's the other hand may, happen, is it? Huh. may i make a con- contrarian argument Go. will you permit well, one, it is please? your radio show please. i suppose uh, well do. you think please <laughs> so, do. sometimes i'm i wonder uh, it, let me just make a contrarian argument here where did the internet come from not from venture capital funding. I, I'd like us to all take a moment, stand back, and revisit history. Not from venture capital funding. It came out of a DARPA program out of the Defense Department. If the government wants to invest in innovation, it has proven that through NASA, think of all the inventions that came out of NASA. Think of all the inventions that come out of the Defense Department. We can invest, but we have to invest in primary research inside these departments. I have two words for you. Oh, no. Here it comes. Cost overrun. <laughs> Those are a couple good words there, Bill. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about NASA. We're talking about DARPA. We're talking about anything the government spends money on, cost overrun. All right, I'm just going to tell you, was it worth it in the case of the Internet? Well, it all depends. No, no, that's a yes or no question. No. 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 Uh, no. Uh, no. Come on, come on, come on. It, now, it, in my one. view, oh, and probably a lot one. of people listening, I'm going to have to give you that. One. You got to give me the internet. Would not have happened. It 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 was Is not. Is the internet a good thing? Oh, Think boy. about it for a minute. Uh, uh, I uh, yes. Well, come on. Really? Yes. It yes. Is. Of course. It is. Come on. You're just making a contrarian argument just to argue. You, you, of course, the internet is a good thing. Okay. It has democratized information around the world. How can that be a negative thing? You know. So so look. Uh, uh, don't let, get me started. I, I just want to say that a lot of the technologies that we depend on for day to day life came out of government investment in defense and also in the space program and other other programs as well. So, you know, I, I just want to introduce that into the conversation. Look, we have to take another break. I know you guys are going, hey, you cut my mic off. I'm, I still want to go to war. But uh, it, we have to take another scheduled break. We'll be right back with Luis Alvarez from the Alvarez Technology Group. You're listening to the Costa Report. In the opening of All Quiet on the Western Front, Eric Maria Remark wrote, This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will simply try to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Today, Project Healing Waters offers men and women that have escaped the shells of war the opportunity to heal by teaching our returning veterans to fly fish in some of the most beautiful, tranquil rivers in our country. These natural surroundings have the ability to restore the human spirit, and with your help, Project Healing Waters is able to reach out to thousands of our men and women in the military every year. For information on how you can help, go to projecthealingwaters.org. 
Please give and give generously to those who have put their lives on the line for you. That's projecthealingwaters.org. Help those who have escaped the shells of war and need your help to come all the way back. Do you or someone you know suffer with a bulging, herniated, or degenerative disc? Have you tried traditional chiropractic and medical care just to find out that it didn't work? You're not alone. Those treatments only focus on symptom relief. It's that simple. Hi, I'm Dr. Troy Brunke, doctor of chiropractic, and I've been practicing here on the Monterey Peninsula for 14 years. You know, the disc itself is active tissue, which contains significant mechanisms for self-repair. You must fix the problem if you're going to get relief and if you want to have your life back again. There is a new method now available, which allows the disc to heal and repair without the use of drugs, injections, or spinal surgery. Call us right now at 222-5040 to leave us a message with your information, and we will send you a report absolutely free, which explains this new method in detail. Again, call us at 222-5040, or you may visit us at montereycairo.com. That's 222-5040 or montereycairo.com. Thank you. Healthy Way Radio, we're talking to Fred today. Hi, how you doing? I understand you've already lost six pounds and you've only been on the program for one week this time. Actually, a little less than a week. It's terrific. I feel great. You tried this about 20 years ago. I did. You know, it's one of those things where I got into a groove and I stayed really healthy for a long time. Then I got to a place where I needed some help and I knew where to come. came to Healthy Way. What do you like about the Healthy Way? I like the personal touch. You know something? I really like the fact that it's been in the same place for all these years. Obviously, it works. You've had some health issues since the first time you came to us. I got type 2 diabetes, and I noticed that my blood sugars already have leveled off a great deal. And the program's easy for you to deal with? Very easy. Um, It's very simple. It's not complicated. The plan is laid out so you can understand it easily. And when you come here, there's always someone to talk to. All right, Fred. Well, we'll be checking in with you periodically. Thanks for joining us on The Healthy Way today. Thank you. This could be you. Call 462-5900. Go in for a free consultation at The Healthy Way. Those who say you can't have your cake and eat it too haven't driven a new Ford C-Max or Fusion Energy plug-in hybrid. Hi, I'm Elliot Geis over here at North Bay Ford in Santa Cruz. You can have the best of both worlds with our new Ford Energy hybrids. You can have the ultra-fun driving pleasure of cruising around town on the electricity stored in the energy state-of-the-art lithium-ion battery. Then, after 20 or so miles, you can switch the energy's hybrid engine and drive another 600 miles. So you see, you can have your cake and eat it too when you drive a new Ford C-Max or Fusion Energy car right off the lot at North Bay Ford. But don't take my word for it. Come on down to North Bay Ford and test drive a C-Max or Fusion Energy today. The best deals of the year on new energy cars are ready to roll here at North Bay Ford. You can have your cake and eat it too. Ford plug-in hybrids give you the choice of cruising around town on pure electricity stored in the car's lithium-ion battery or switching to hybrid mode and driving another 600 miles on a single 12-gallon tank. Come on down to 1999 Soquel Avenue, Santa Cruz, or on the web at NorthBayFord.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. Luis Alvarez, the CEO of Alvarez Technology Group, is joining us. Thanks for being with us again today, Luis. Always a pleasure. It's the highlight of my week. Well, <laughs> week ah, you're just a sweet talker. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've been talking about investments and innovation, and I understand there is one industry we just don't generally think about where uh, innovation is alive and well. Yeah, you're right, Rebecca. Actually, you know, uh, very recently, I had the opportunity to speak at uh, the Ag Tech Summit in Monterey, California, an event sponsored by the Steinbeck Innovation Cluster that focuses on how technology can be used by agriculture to improve yields, lower costs, and, and feed an ever-growing population. It was a terrific experience, and especially because I had the chance to follow a, a gentleman named David Evans, the former chief technologist from Cisco, and the guy who created the phrase, the Internet of Everything, terrific speaker and uh, very inspiring. Yeah, there's no question the world has more mouths to feed. So uh, what came out of the conference? Well, not surprisingly, David and I both agreed that the biggest challenge for agriculture in the next few years is to find a way to produce a lot more for a lot less. Because by 2025, you know, a little more than 10 years from now, the population of our planet is going to be a staggering 8 billion people. And all of them are going to want food, and they're going to want safe food and nutritious food, and it's it's a very uh, daunting task. Yeah, which begs the question, uh, how are we doing in terms of keeping up? 
Um, you know, unfortunately, the way we grow food in the U.S. today, is, it isn't going to work 10 years from now. So innovation isn't a luxury. It's something that, that we you know, critically need for agriculture to, to take on right now. Yeah, well, we're talking eight billion with a B people. With, and, with it, a B, yeah. Yeah, and and you know that old saying about necessity being the mother of invention. So, are are, are you actually seeing a lot of recent breakthroughs in agriculture? Well, we're we're definitely seeing a lot of interest from uh, technology companies and tech startups um, in the ag world. That you know, don't get me wrong. There's always been a lot of innovation in agriculture going back to the day the first crops were planted in the ground. And we've been making steady progress on improving how food is brought to our tables. You know, today, ag, uh, American ag companies produce the safest, most nutritious food the world has ever seen. But we need to do a better job in the future, which is why I'm excited that guys like uh, David Evans from Cisco are taking a, a keen interest in this. And I take it that the need to produce safer, cleaner, and uh, more volume of food is not just something affecting U.S. markets, right? Oh, yeah, you're right there. Um, there are investors and companies from all over the world who are monitoring what we're doing here in, in the U.S. because, you know, they want to leverage our innovations to, to help their own ag production back home. Um, it's a connected world, as you and I both know, and that means, you know, anything done anywhere is quickly adopted by others if it works right. So where do you see the most innovation in agriculture right now? I think the most progress in the short term is being made out in the field where technology is making farming more precise and, and increasing the yields. Uh, you know, we used to get two tons of product from an acre of, of ground before five or ten years ago. That same field now is producing double that because you're you're using tractors equipped with GPS that can be programmed to, to you know, find very exact routes and eliminate waste in the ground. Uh, another idea that I think has a great deal of promise is uh, data analytics. And you and I have talked about big data in the past, and this is exactly what we're talking about. You know, imagine if you could take all those years of information that farmers have been collecting different, uh, you know, collecting data in different and separate da databases and unifying it, all that information in a way that allows you to, to analyze it, slice it, and dice it to make, you know, better decisions and improve outcomes. It could be, you know, it could be revolutionary. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, by marrying NASA's um, meteorological database to automated watering systems, um, scientists can actually have the capability of reducing watering uh, in these fields by over 8% by just allowing farmers uh, to cut back on the watering when they know rain and fog is on the way. And if you could yeah. just imagine having a mobile phone and and being out in uh, you know in a rural area in South America and being able to go on your mobile phone and say how much do I need to water my crops uh, today uh, because of the moisture levels in the air and rain that's on its way humidity so on and so forth and have some back end artificial intelligence system calculate all that for you as a farmer. Well, you know, that's one of those big data analytic areas that's really going to matter during drought years like the one we're having now. And, in fact, at the uh, AgTech Summit, there was a gentleman named uh, Peter Williams from IBM who spoke precisely about that. And some of the data points that he hit on m mirror what you just said on how much more um, efficient we can be with water use if we are able to monitor the, the, the fields in a much more precise and, and uh you know, refined manner so that we don't overwater or underwater. And, and he even uh, envisioned a, a future where the plant itself can tell you that it needs to be watered so that the decision is, is being made by the actual, uh, you know, the, the fields uh, and not the farmer. Well, now we're getting into that nanobot, uh, yeah. you know, area where these nanobots are really being reduced down to the size of a human cell. And I know this is going to freak out a lot of listeners today, but if you think about if you have to make a trade-off between pesticides being sprayed all over foods versus nanobots, the size of a human cell being sprayed on plants, and then the plant actually ingesting the nanobot, and then the nanobot communicating with the watering system, outside it to say, oh, I don't need any water today. So that plant by plant, the plant can communicate outside of its its uh, its actual bio biological system, and e including asking for nutrients that it needs to be able to be the most productive. And if you add in there automation so that the nutrients aren't necessarily 
being delivered by, you know, a, a farmhand in a tractor, but by um, a pilotless drone that is activated and can precisely hit that particular plant. Um, right, so it would fly to that plant and say, oh, you need a little bit of calcium, so here I'm yeah. here to give you that calcium. Every plant would then, be, yeah, every cl plant would then be maximized to its best productivity. Yeah, and, and that's the sort of innovation and, and you know, technological um, uh, efforts that we need in the fields to be able to increase the yields to the point where we can feed, you know, that 8 billion uh, person population that we're going to have in just 10 years. Boy, if we think we got a problem getting, uh, you know, um, I don't know, uh, GMOs through the FDA. Imagine, imagine how they're going to deal with nanobots, and that we're going to have a few nanobots with our salad. Well, you know, the the good thing is the technology. <laughs> those nanobots that they're working on, once the plant is is harvested, they 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 basically just die and, and go away. So you never. Yeah, we eat more dirt with our salad than the nanobots are going to affect us. <laughs> But but I, I think it just freaks people out the idea you're going to ingest something that's a robot you know I it's it, it's just too weird and I think people are going to have a negative reaction they better get some uh, marketing people to come up with like a a really fun or cute name so we'll want to eat them <laughs> that's what I think or they're going to go the way GMOs and and irradiating food did where everyone you know uh, has a reaction to it and then you can't ever get over the emotional reaction. Well, uh, you know, talk about a growing market. I mean, it's one thing we're always going to need, food. Um, but unfortunately, uh, we are out of time. So let me just thank you for uh, joining us again this week, and we'll see you back next week. My pleasure. See you then. This is Louis Alvarez from the Alvarez Technology Group reminding you that when it comes to technology, forewarned is forearmed. Now, we're going to have to take another short break, and when we come back, uh, we'll be visiting with Mitch Winnick, the dean of the Monterey College of Law, uh, following these important messages from uh, for, uh, that are the sponsors of today's program. I do want to. I do want to caution everybody before you send me a bunch of emails about Rebecca. Are you advocating uh, ingesting nanobots? Um, you eat so many harmful things every day, and your body is equipped to handle them, and it has a uh, immune and defense system like no other. So uh, I know it sounds rather odd, but you can go on the internet and check that out. You can type in nanobots, and you'll see that they are uh, very, very tiny and and just you know a speck of dust it's like ingesting a speck of dust they won't be active by the time you ingest them and far less harmful than uh, pesticides and 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 chemical defense systems um, on that note we're going to take our short break you're listening to the costa report Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. We're fortunate to have Scott Caraccioli with us to explain how the process of making sparkling wines influences a winemaker's approach to making a Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Yeah, it's really a driving factor in terms of style and really kind of making it a little bit more old world. Um, we use all French oak, which is the same thing that we use in our sparkling wines. So I would imagine that someone who's not making sparkling wines will take a totally different approach. Yeah, it's a matter of viewpoint when it comes down to when you have a French winemaker making bubbles, you end up with a leaner, more European style of wine. 
To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where you have to spell it to drink it. Greetings, folks. This is Randy the Realtor, just letting you know of a spectacular new listing on the outskirts of Watsonville. For $650,000, you can live in a beautifully finished home with wonderful orchard and mountain views, a kitchen with four ovens, two dishwashers, and granite countertops. If you're looking for a top-notch, move-in-ready home, this is for you. Call your realtor or call me, Randy the Realtor, at 831-566-2590. Or visit my website at aptoshomefinder.com. When you need legal help, call on the angel. It's a fact. We'll all need help to resolve a legal matter of one kind or another. When you find yourself in need of legal help, call on Angel Hess Attorney at Law. She's been helping people with legal documents for over 20 years. Now Angel has earned her master's in legal studies and juris doctorate and is licensed to practice law for you. I'm Angel L. Hess Attorney at Law. With my help, we can resolve your legal matters quickly and efficiently. I will listen to your needs and keep you informed of the pros and cons of each legal strategy. We will find the best course of action for you. And if I can't help you, then I will help you find someone who can. And today, Angel Hess has an angelic offer for each of UKSCO listeners, and only UKSCO listeners, a free half-hour consultation. That's right. Just pick up the phone and call her with your legal matter, mention KSCO, and get your free consultation today. When you find yourself in need of legal help, call Call on Angel L. Hess, attorney at law in Santa Cruz at 831-426-8536 or www.santacruzlegal.net. Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Marlene. And we're the hosts of Flavors. On KSCO 1080. We're going to be talking about restaurants, cookbooks. Wine and reviews. And all sorts of other things. If you like olive oils, this is the place. So remember to tune in on Sundays at noon. And remember, Flavors Everything. Welcome back to the Costa Report. We have Mitch Winnick, the Dean of the Monterey College of Law, with us. Thanks for joining us again, Mitch. It's a pleasure to be on the program, Rebecca. Mitch, we've been talking with uh, Bobby Franklin, the head of the National Venture Capital Association, and he believes that uh, venture capital investments will continue to play a major role in expanding the U.S. economy. So what do you think? You know, I agree with this point of view, Rebecca, and I I do because you probably don't know that back in the 1980s, I I spent two years as a venture capitalist. I did not know that. It wasn't as successful as Bobby's, so now I'm back in the legal business. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, well, I guess you chose something that was a little less risky than uh, being a venture capitalist. I mean, it's it's a tough job, believe me. I know many of them, and it, it is a very tough Tough, tough job to be uh, wrong, calling it wrong 80 and 85% of the time. Well, considering how complicated the venture capital process is, um, I assume there are a number of laws that come into play regarding the fundraising and also the investing aspects of venture capital. Well, you know, there certainly are. You know, there's laws related to fundraising, investing, securities, and taxes that define the role of venture capital. You know, in fact, without a federal law that was passed back in 1958 called the Small Business Investment Act, it's unlikely that Mr. Franklin's National Venture Capital Association or its members would even exist today. Okay, well, that kind of puts things in uh, perspective. Uh, Maybe you could take a minute to talk about how venture capital began and uh, how it became legal here in the United States. You know, it's really an interesting and and a particularly U.S. story, Rebecca. Much like other industrialized countries, until the 1940s, venture capital investment exclusively came from the wealthy families such as the Vanderbilts, Whitney's, Rockefellers, Warburgs. You know, in fact, it wasn't until 1946 that George Dorio, former quartermaster general of the U.S. Army during World War II, it formed what is considered to be the very first public-owned venture capital firm called ARDC. For doing so, he's frequently referred to as the father of venture capital. 
Okay, so that's right after World War II, and the U.S. was coming out of a huge industrial buildup. Uh, the Cold War was starring, uh, starting, and uh, uh, Doriel was a, a retired Army general. It, it sounds like all those things are connected in some way. You know, in fact, that's one of the overlooked connections to the start of U.S. venture capital. Doriel founded ARDC to encourage private sector investments in businesses run by soldiers returning from World War II. His goal was to raise capital to do this from sources other than the wealthy families. He also believed that raising and investing venture capital from private investors was the best way for the U.S. to stay ahead of the Soviet Union during the Cold War period. That's really interesting, Mitch. Um, We think of venture capital uh, from the profit motive perspective of, you know, achieving high rates of return for high-risk investments. But what you're saying is that back in the 1950s, the idea of venture capital was presented as a patriotic response to keeping the U.S. ahead of the Soviet Union. That's exactly correct. And, and it also helps explain why the federal government enacted the Small Business Investment Act to expand venture capital opportunities. You know, the act back then authorized the U.S. Small Business Administration, what we know now as the SBA, mm-hmm. to license uh, small business investment companies that you've probably heard of called SBICs to expand the use of venture capital and to leverage the use of federal funds to help finance and manage small entrepreneurial businesses. So so even though we think of private investment as the bedrock of a free market economy, your point is that it's important to remember the role that regulatory laws play in making that system work. That's exactly right. It's, it's very easy to overlook that it is our system of regulatory laws that provide the framework for the free market economy. It creates both opportunities as well as protection for both the private investor and the small business entrepreneur. Okay, so you've raised the question of regulatory protection. Um, I have to assume there are other laws related to venture capital financing that address issues such as investor protection, foreign investments, taxes, and so on. Yes, there are. And don't worry, I won't bore everyone with a laundry list of regulations. But but it is interesting to highlight a couple of legal areas that you just might not initially consider are related to venture capital. Okay, well, shoot. Okay, so for example, anti-money laundering regulations. These allow the government to make sure that venture capital investing isn't being used to launder drug money. Uh, The U.S. Patriot Act requires banks and other financial service companies to make sure that money isn't being used to provide terrorist financing. Mm. And the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act requires that foreign financial entities, including venture capital firms, register with the IRS and report on foreign financial accounts and offshore assets of U.S. taxpayers. So the result of all of these laws and regulations is that venture capital venture capital investment firms they can be held accountable to confirm the origin of their funds and the destination of the profits so individual investors could even be held accountable if they had reason to know that their investments are being used for illegal purposes or to avoid US taxes well that kind of transparency to avoid illegal financial transactions seems reasonable but you know you don't always know uh, what the venture capitalists are investing in, and you don't necessarily keep tabs on everything that the companies they invest in are doing, right? That's exactly right. And in fact, one of the warnings I would give both investors and entrepreneurs is that much of the venture capital financing is exempt from SEC regulations and other regulations. So even even the recent Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act from 2012 Uh, which is going to allow crowdfunding, exempts that from most of the SEC regulations. Yeah, well, I mean, there is a the the more you dig into this, the more you find, isn't it true? I mean, always with regulations, the further you look, the more overwhelming it tends to get. Um, We are all out of time for this segment, but, uh, you know, maintaining the proper balance between encouraging investment and providing regulatory protection is It's a great topic, and we'll have to get into that uh, again at another time. Thanks again for stopping by today. Thank you, Rebecca. This is Dean Mitch Winnick. 
speaking to you from Monterey College of Law and reminding you that when it comes to the law, a little knowledge is not a dangerous thing. And that is our program for this week. As always, if you have a question or a comment to make about today's interview, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and let me know how you felt about our conversation today with Bobby Franklin, Luis Alvarez, and Mitchell Winnick. There's no debate that venture capital-funded companies have been responsible for a great deal of the job creation in this country, but... What does it mean when those venture investments are not increasing? Uh, It's worrisome. And I'm curious to know uh, what you think about uh, why the mainstream press is is not uh, watching venture capital investment a little more closely. Um, uh, It's something we we Americans should all pay attention to. And by the way, if you missed the full interview with Bobby Franklin today or any of our other guests, uh, remember you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our new YouTube channel. And while you're at our website, take a moment to check out the new video of the very first public debate on the Affordable Care Act six months into it. The debate is hosted by Fox News personality Juan Williams, and I'm one of the members of this controversial panel. If you haven't seen the video yet, just go to Rebecca Costa, my name, dot com. It's right there on the homepage. Uh, if you want to know how the, the insurance industry is responding to Obamacare, this is the one video to watch. I, I think you'll enjoy it. And while you're at our website, be sure you pick up a copy of the Watchman's Rattle. All you have to do is click on the image of the book. Uh, it only takes a couple of minutes to order. So grab your copy right now. The book shows how complexity over government regulation and more data than any other time in human history is the source of gridlock and also produces a confusion between empirical facts and unproven beliefs. Not only are our leaders confused as to what are facts and what are poor science disguised as fact, you and I are also having a heck of a time uh, collecting information in order to make good decisions. So please take a moment to get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it right now. All proceeds from the book go toward keeping programming like the interview you just heard with Bobby Franklin on the air. And who doesn't want agenda-free report? the way it used to be. We have a very special program planned for next week, so write it down on your schedule because you don't want to miss a rare interview with one of the most acclaimed violin virtuosos in the world, Mr. Itzhak Perlman, who has joined the mission to prevent another outbreak of polio, an outbreak the CDC claims threatens more than 200,000 children. We have the way, but do we have the will to preempt this and other deadly illnesses. Find out next week on the only news program which puts policy ahead of politics. Until then, I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.